RDT Systems, baby. Dog tested and dog tough. We've got those soft mouth dummies. Now listen, everybody knows that we need more bumpers. I'm not talking about one or two or three. I'm talking about adding bumpers to your repertoire. I like using white or black and white bumpers when I'm training my dogs for marks and even blinds. You can get the orange ones. I dig it. But add a bunch to your repertoire. And I'm again, I'm not talking about three to six. If you're working on T pattern, if you're working on blinds and pattern blinds, you need a bunch, a dozen, 18. The Soft Mouth Dummies by DT can't be beat. Check them out, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. DT Difference. Let's go. Hashtag man's best kennel, baby. That's Gunner Kennels. Man, let's talk about these crates because when shh, it hits the fan, you want your dog protected. It's an investment emotionally and financially to keep your hunting buddy safe. If you'd like to get into a Gunner Kennel, slide into the DMs and we'll hook you up. But do your best friend a favor and keep them safe this duck season. It's force fetch, baby. It's the number one question we get asked. You don't know how to fix it? Let me help you. Let me get you to your goals. We built a course, bunch of videos. I think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully. The link's in the description. Be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. I'm going to take a 10-second break and say thank you to you all for tuning in to all our episodes and being loyal listeners in a community on Instagram and Patreon and everywhere where this podcast wouldn't be doable without you, the listener. So thank you. Um, we've got an awesome episode today with Megan Comfort from Torgs Labs. She's a breeder of um, dark yellows, fox reds, chocolates, uh, northern Minnesota, super knowledgeable. And we break down the trials and tribulations of breeding, the process of how to pick a mom and dad to make the best puppy possible. We talk about how to do an entire delivery, basically like in-depth from the minute their temperature drops to the minute puppies come out, when things can go wrong with the mom, like super in-depth on breeding with her and it, and just getting to know her was awesome. So I hope you enjoy this episode. But first, you know what we got to do? Patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. This is the community where you support. Like if you learn something from this show, if you are on Instagram and you learn something from us or YouTube and you want to support the show, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Jump on there. Plus, you get to enter to win a hunt with Kevin and I and a bunch of other Patreon members. So jump on there. What are you waiting for? 
Link is in the description below. Next up is our force fetch course. One of our top questions asked on how to get your dog to bring the bird or bumper and deliver it nicely. It just dog's mouthy on a bird. Dog won't pick up a bird. Dog does, runs away with this. Whatever the case may be, we developed a start to finish program so that you can feel comfortable and confident in force fetching your dog. The link is in the description. Give it a click. Check it out, and we're here to help you along the process. And lastly, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. Um, it's actually about to drop with a new revamped website in the next couple of weeks. New gear, way more products to help you train your dog. So stay tuned. Check that out, and we will drop it on Instagram and Facebook and everywhere when it's live. But check it out, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. Next up. From the duck blind to the holding blind, baby, it's Purina, the food that fuels the truck of lone duck. We talked a little bit about nutrition for mama dogs with Megan, and she is a loyal feeder of Purina Pro Plan. And so we talked a little bit about the nutrition for mothers and the puppies so that they grow up healthy and happy. And she feeds Purina. She actually feeds the 30-20. So check it out. Next up, Gunner Kennels. Hashtag man's best kennel, baby. You know it. When the shh hits the fan, it's the kennel that's keep going to keep you and your dog safe. They came out with the 30-pound food crate. Okay. This is wicked helpful on your hunting trips. Patreon hunting trip, possibly. But you're going away for four or five days. It can hold up to 30 pounds of food. Easy to store, easy to pack away and keep safe, watertight, airtight, all the good stuff. Dogs can't get it on accident and mow down the food. Gunner food crates and the Gunner kennels. If you'd like to get into something like that, you can slide into the DMs and we'll help you out. Next up. Mm, that Kent cartridge, baby. I got a date tomorrow night. I got a date, Kevin, with my Browning Satori. With my Browning Satori and some Kent 12 gauge seven and a halves. Slinging. Slinging. Well, sorry, you're probably busy with Jack, but we're going to uh, shoot some sporting clays. My goal is twice a month, bare minimum once a month, go to Sporting Clay Course, and I'm going to be slinging some Kent downrange at the Sporting Clay Course to get me and the old Satori ready for duck season. You should too, because if I'm slinging bismuth downrange, I want to make sure that I'm accurate, and then when I hit a duck, you know that bismuth's going to do its job. Next up, DT Systems. It's the e-collar we've been using for the last uh, six months now. Um, yeah, about six months, been a wild ride about six months. Uh, super great people. They've got some really cool stuff coming up that I'm excited to be a part of, but we've been using their 1820, our friends, Kat and Ethan at standing stone kennels. They've been using DT for years, introduced it to us. And the 1820 is going to fit 99% of the duck hunter dog trainer for the yard for the house dog and for the field 
get you and your dog prepared for duck season. So check them out at DT Systems. All right, let's get into the show. Megan, welcome to the show. We've tried to get this bad boy rolling for uh, about a year now, and I'm so thankful that you, you know, have the chance to get a get with us and join us on the show and tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Okay, my name is Megan Comfort, and I am one of the main breeders at Torgs Labs. We are located in northern Minnesota um, in a tiny town called Solway, and we're only about 20 miles from the start of the Mississippi River. God's country, as I like to call it. Um, yeah. And uh, very good. So I've followed you on social media for years. I can't even put a number on it. Like when I got in the game, I feel like you were in the game. So how long have you been breeding dogs? So I am going on my ninth year, but I have a very unique story. Um, my aunt and uncle actually started the kennel Torgs Labs, Stephen Linda Torgerson. Um, when I graduated high school or graduated college, my husband and I had just got married. I went to school for marketing and loved it. I had been managing a bar full time and my husband went into school for criminal justice and realized in the grand scheme of all the crazy stuff that's happening in that world, he decided it wasn't something that he really wanted to do. So he went he was working security full-time and my aunt asked us if we'd be interested in working with dogs. And I had seen them. I grew up with them. I mean, they just lived 20, 30 miles from us. So I helped out with the dogs when I could, when I was younger. I mean, I don't know how many birds I threw when I was eight years old at field trials and hunt tests. And I didn't even know what I was doing or what I was getting into, but they needed help. And I got a sandwich and maybe 20 bucks for the day. <laughs> so I was in it, right? Good living. And I also, yeah. And I also realized, you know, how much of a commitment it is. It's not something that you can just be done at five o'clock and, you know, close the door and walk away from it. So I knew that it was going to be a really hard decision if we wanted to go into it. So what we decided was we would buy a dog from them. Her name was Reba. She was a year old when we bought her. And we said, let's have one litter with her, see how we like it. And if it's something that we love to do, then maybe we'll talk about kind of being business partners with them and taking over eventually, et cetera. So that was the agreement. And shortly after we bought Reba, a house went up for sale actually next door to Steve and Linda. So we have a little house on 10 acres. They've got a big house on 38 acres and 35 acres of the land is completely fenced in for the dogs. There's two wow. big fields and a nice pond. So we can do a lot of training out there. We can just let the dogs be dogs and know that they're safe. Um, so things just kind of fell into place for us. So Reba had her first litter and... She was bred to Tanner and Tanner is a, just, I'm still obsessed with that dog. I call him lover boy, but, um, they had 14 puppies. Dang girl. Yeah. It, and at the <laughs> time I was still, I was still working full time at the bar. My husband was still working full time doing security. He was on overnights and Reba did not make enough milk for those 14 puppies. So we, had to bottle feed them 
every two hours. We had group A with seven pups. We had group B with seven pups. We were taking weights three times a day. We were living on no sleep. Like, I think we'd like shut our eyes and we would have to go outside type of thing. It was like having 14 newborns at home. Yeah. And when the it was time for the puppies to leave, all but one survived, which was pretty significant. And when that puppy passed, man, it was heart-wrenching. I cried for hours, actually. Wait a minute. Probably so, days. All right. So we're going to talk about this later in the podcast. Okay. But your first experience was not a good one. No, it was well, not like, a good one, it, but this was like I your mean, trial oh, run right. into, yeah. do I want to continue doing this? Exactly. So we're, oh, we're and not only that, but um, Reba got sick. Um, she had coccidious, which is pretty common if dogs are really stressed. And this was her first litter. She had 14 puppies. The puppies got it. We were, we got them through that. And so it was wild. It was just absolutely like, holy buckets. Can we do this? Can we actually be sane and continue to raise dogs? Because it was very emotional. Yeah. And what did it for me was I had somebody come to look at the puppies. She said I wasn't quite ready for a dog. She had dealt with um, infertility issues. And she was there with her daughter to look at the puppies. And she said that when she was struggling to get pregnant herself, she had got a dog and that dog lived, it was her best friend. It helped her through all the things and that dog had passed. So this is why she came to look at dogs, but she didn't think she was quite ready. And her and I were talking in the yard. It was a gorgeous spring day in Minnesota. I will never forget this. It's like plastered into my mind. Um, and the little girl, she was like two years old and took off across the yard and that little puppy followed her. And the mom looked at me and just started bawling. She's like, I think I'll take her. And I started crying. And like in that moment, it wasn't a sadness of me getting rid of the puppies. It was me sharing the joy with this family. So that's when Linda asked us if we wanted to keep doing this. I was like, absolutely. <laughs> like it made it all worth it. So yeah, that's kind of how we got started. That's an unreal story. And again, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but yeah, everyone has this rainbows and butterflies of they get a dog. They love this dog. They think it's the best dog since sliced bread. And so I want a dog out of it, or they think they want to be a hobby breeder. And what they don't realize is it's freaking stressful. It's, it is. there's, there's death, there's no sleeping, mm -hmm. there's vet bills that you are hoping you don't have to spend, but you have to budget for, and it's not easy. And so I hope as we progress with the podcast, we can dive into a little bit of that as an educational awareness, a PSA, if you will. Um, right. But yeah, what a wild, sad and kind like coccidia that's so common mm -hmm. so common that it's like almost every dog has it it's kind of like giardia too right like right every dog has it and when stress occurs or a diet change or they're fighting a virus or whatever like it's going to flare up 
And so having a litter, bingo, bango, like it's in the soil. It's in your right. yard. It's in everyone who's listening to this podcast yard. I would be willing. Mm-hmm. Can you, for people who may not know, like what it is, how their dog gets it, whatnot, like, can you just dabble in that, please? Yeah, it's basically a bacteria that lives in the digestive system, primarily the stomach. And when your body is stressed, sometimes that the it's bad bacteria, but it's good if it's under control. But when it's when the dog is stressed, just like humans, sometimes those bad bacteria can kind of fester and get worse. So um, thankfully, it's pretty easily treatable if you catch it right away. However, especially on newborn puppies, I mean, it, they develop really bad diarrhea. You'll never forget the smell of that <laughs> when you, if you, I hope that nobody has to encounter it, but you'll never forget the smell and it's cleared up pretty quickly, but the puppies are pretty fragile and they can go downhill very fast if you're not completely on top of it all the time. So yeah, yeah I mean, it's just, it's there and it's going to happen at times and thankfully we haven't really experienced it a lot since then, but at least I know how to deal with it now. Yeah, absolutely. So Reba, she's the first, first one. Did you attempt a litter number two? Like talk to us about the, the process moving forward. Yeah. So she had that litter and bounced back incredibly. And her second litter, she had 13 puppies (laughs) It was just wild. We were so excited. And that time she was bred to Tanner again. Um, She was just such a fun dog. Well, she's she's still with us. She just turned 10 in March and you would never guess it. That girl acts like she's six. But when as a mom, she was a completely different dog. She calmed down. She just like it was so instinctly like I need to take care of these babies. But when she was done with the baby, she was done. She didn't want anything to do with it. And now she's 10 and like the grandma of the house and she hates puppies. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever I have pups in the house, she'll go in the crate. Like she's like, I am not dealing with this. I did my time. I'm not not doing it anymore. So it's kind of funny to see how she has matured since we've had her. And I mean, the second we retired her, she has had that attitude towards puppies. She's like, I'm done. Somebody else's job now. (laughs) That's so funny. That's so funny. So we have uh, a girl, a female named Cruz, Mama Cruz. And she was like our flagship female. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'll I'll give a little background on, you know, my trials and tribulations real quick. So I bought a dog. The classic person that I just defined was like, I want a dog out of my mail, right? Like every mm-hmm. two. So I do all the health tests, his stud pedigree, great dog. What got me started in the game? Bad luck. He had hip dysplasia. So never, you know, bred him and that was it. Second female was Memphis. And everyone who's listened to the show knows who Memphis is and forever she like never came into heat they were silent heats it would be like a flash in the pan heat cycle or we're going to master nationals or you know she ended up with a tick-borne disease and the medicine she was on wouldn't do well with puppies like every time it was like a potential something we couldn't do right Mm -hmm. and so you know it it doesn't work out like you plan 
And we did end up having one litter from her and the puppies are about 10, 11 months old now and they're fantastic. And I'm thankful that we could do it. And right. so it worked out in the end with her, but like people think that, oh, we can do two, three, four litters. I'll make X amount of money at it. What a great investment. And it's like, how, I, how much money I spent on that dog at the vet, hunt tests, um, you know, she had with that tick-borne disease, we did all sorts of like medical treatments for her to like get her back in athletic shape. I mean, that sh- stuff was, I probably could have bought a truck, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So for sure. you, you just have to understand that things don't work out as you plan, but then we get crews and crews had four litters for us, 12, 12, 10, and 11. And she it's like was, a breeder's dream. <laughs> oh, she was amazing. And she, like you said, like spunky, master hunter, passed the master national, jammed a cue, like bad to the mm-hmm. bone chick. And then as soon as she had puppies, it was like, poof, you had to like drag her out to go potty. Yeah. She, she did not want to leave them. She was super sweet, amazing mother. And mm-hmm. brought us a ton of really great puppies and made a lot of really a lot of people really happy. Um, yeah. so that that is a, a very cool part that you brought up with your story of just like you know people. I'll, I'll throw this out at you. Like, how many people have said like, "Oh, how do you get rid of them?" It's like by eight weeks, I'm ready, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like I said, my first litter, that was really tough. Like I cried every single puppy that left this place. I cried. I'm like, I'm going to miss them. I hope they update me. And you know, over the years, I have kind of transferred that sadness into joy Mm -hmm. because I know, I mean, I've got six dogs in my house right now. Like they, we rotate them through. We, they're not just kennel dogs. Like I, know how much of a family member that these dogs become. I don't care if your dog is with a trainer, you're missing them. You know, it's their family members. And so now instead of looking at it as a heartbreaking thing that those puppies are moving on, I'm like joyful and excited to see what these puppies do in a new home. Like I've got a puppy just left last weekend and there's a young girl who's going to do agility stuff with it. And it like, So it's hard. How can I get sad at that? You know, this girl is doing dog stuff as a teenager and that puppy is going to be so loved and going to go on to do successful things and be a family member for somebody. So it's just, it's not sadness for me anymore. It's just like excitement. And obviously there's some like nervousness. You hope that everything is okay and that they're able to do what you expect them to do. But overall, it's just like, oh, man. And when I get updates from puppy buyers, I just it's the best thing ever. I tell them all the time. Don't think you're bugging me. I don't care if you send me a picture every month. I will be ecstatic to see it, you know, so it's it's cool. It's such a fun thing to be a part of. But there is, like you said, a lot of trials and tribulations and times that I think like, can I keep doing this for my mental health? (laughs) But it always comes back to it. So yeah, it's really like puppy go home day is so worth it a lot Mm -hmm. for for at least my clientele. It's either their first dog ever, like a younger person's first dog ever. Maybe they're 24 Mm -hmm. or 25, like I was getting my first dog. So that's like, I relive it with them. It's a, brand new husband and wife that are getting like their pre-baby baby. 
Um, or it's someone that's a little bit older in life and like kids have gone. And so this is like their empty nest hunting buddy. Yeah. Looking for a project to do (laughs) project to do and like pal around in the truck Mm -hmm. and go hunting with. So it's been a really cool journey watching them, you know, go home and fulfill their, their family and their, their jobs really too, you know, going out Mm -hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. So, all right, let's, let's get back into you. My bad. (laughs) You're good. So talk to me more about like, as it's developing, you have had some like famous favorites. Let's talk about them. So Rooster Smasher was one that kind of, I think, gave our kennel a lot of recognition. Um, Linda had purchased him at four years of age. And this dog, I mean, he was one of, at the time, was one of the most decorated dogs in the U.S. I mean, he was a four-time Grandmaster Hunter Retriever, Hunter Retriever Champion, Master Hunter, Canine Good Citizen, like Upland Hunter. There, He just had so many accolades, um, qualified all ages. So you'd think that this dog would be just wound up and ready to go at all times. That wasn't the case. Rooster was so sweet. He was Linda's shadow. That dog followed her everywhere. And when I mean everywhere, like he would go into the shower with him with her at times. Like <laughs> he just loved her so much. Um, and he's just he was so fun to watch compete and just the happiest dog, but also so calm. You know, I think that a lot of times with labs and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but some of the field trial lines and stuff, it, when people think about a typical lab, they think, Oh, they're just crazy. Not so that never settle down until they're over two years old kind of thing. And I just have never really experienced that with a rooster puppy or rooster himself. You know, he just had that, typical on off switch you know um that I think that people talk about a lot but how many times is it actually there you know Mm -hmm. um so rooster unfortunately we had to put him down it was time last winter he was 14 and a half years old and he it was a heartbreak for all of us but we were just thankful to have him a part of our program it was phenomenal um and Stony, I think I remember uh, Michael Vaughn, when you had him on, he was talking about Stony, and Stony was kind of the foundation of our kennel. And w- something that is really proud for us to say is that we have Rocky, who's Stony's son, and now Parker, Stony's grandson. So we have a third generation breeding in our program, and each one is just as good as better than the beginning of it. And so now we've got Rocky is still siring litters. I think he's going to be nine this fall. Um, And Parker is doing awesome. And I mean, our boys, I could talk about our dogs forever. You'd be bored of it, but Tanner too. Tanner's still alive. He's 12. Um, He was the master hunter, hunting retriever champion. That's the one I call lover boy. Mm -hmm. He is so sweet um, you know, something that we really strive for in our breeding program is that on and off switch. I want our dogs to go hunt. That's what they're meant to do. But I also want them to be in our homes. I want them to be on our couches. I want them to be safe around elderly people and small children and that kind of stuff. Um, so when you find that perfect blend and that 
and it's just something that when you find it, you have to utilize it because it's not, it's not that common in some of these labs, in my opinion, anyways, but. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about when you're picking pairings, you know, a, a sire mm-hmm. and a dam. How are you trying to manipulate personalities, drive and desire for hunting, genetics, health testing? How are you trying to work that system to produce what you are producing? Sure. So first thing, do you want me to start like picking a puppy for our program or just like when we're pairing? It's now your show. Okay. <laughs> um, well, when I'm picking a puppy, what I primarily look for is confirmation. What I like to see is a nice head because we'd breed American field bred labs. So sometimes they get a little too long and spindly, if you will. Um, so I would like a nice a nice head and a thick tail. And when you say good bones, I don't know if you'll know what that means, but when you've been doing it long enough, you can tell when a dog has good bones, like they just have yeah. good structure. Um, so confirmation to me when I'm picking a puppy for myself to keep for our program, that's my number one thing. The reason I say that is because if I'm doing my job right, every puppy in that litter should have just as much potential as the next, regardless of what their personality is at six weeks old. You know, yes, at six weeks old, can you see that some puppies are a little bit timid and some puppies are just like running around like crazy? That's at six weeks. What really matters is the what you do before that breeding. Obviously, we're doing all the health testing. Um you know, OFA, hips, eyes, elbows, we're doing the genetic panel, that kind of stuff. So all that's done. We are not breeding, you know, my buddy's best dog ever who's picked up a hundred birds. We're breeding dogs who have been proven in the hunt test field to compete, right? So all the work up to that particular breeding is done. So now when you're picking a puppy, I look for confirmation And then the work of it goes into when you get that puppy home or you get that puppy into your house. And, you know, I don't know. So that's how I'm picking a puppy, basically. As far as pairings go, when I'm planning or breeding, um, there's a lot of factors that go into it. I don't ever do line breedings. I just don't think that. I mean, there's enough labs in the world that I don't really think it's necessary to do a line breeding. Some people do, and that's fine. That's not what we do. Um, I really try to dive into the personalities of the parents. So just for example, I have Jolie, Jolie bug, as we call her. She is my office dog. She's kind of a bitch. If you will. <laughs> She's, <laughs> she does not like people right away. She'll bark at you. If you've been to our kennel, you know, she's the office dog. She's going to bark at you. And then two seconds later, she's going to pick up her blankets. That's her favorite toy. She's going to do her little wiggle butt and then that's fine. But that dog will do anything to hunt. She loves it. She has no off switch. Like even in the house, she will settle down if everybody's settled down. But if you get up to get a glass of water or a whiskey or whatever, she's in the kitchen following you and she's got something in her mouth. The reason, so this last breeding that I had with her, I bred her to Norm. He's one of our up and coming studs. Um, He's a younger boy, but he is so, 
so gentle. He's so methodical about almost everything he does. Um, he, in the field, he will love, he loves to hunt and he's doing a great job, but in the house, he's an absolute bum. Like he plays with the young dogs, but like gently, not like a boy normally would. And so in my mind, what I wanted to foster in that is that drive that Jolie has and that kind of off switch that Norm has. And, you know, it's not always what we dream of, but it's kind of like you're putting the best of both worlds together and let's see what we can get and let's see what we can foster. You know, if I put my work in to do that breeding, what are you going to do when you get that puppy home? If you have a dog like Jolie who never stops, are you going to work more on sitting and staying calm? Whereas some dogs, you want to get them more excited, you know? So it kind of, to me, it depends a lot about um, just what your goals are for a particular breeding. And on the other hand, I will say that that particular breeding we're catering to a lot of our clients are wanting a dog that they can hunt with and a dog that can be successful, but also a dog that only gets to hunt where in northern minnesota so our hunting season's yeah. pretty short sure um on the flip side we have some breedings that we gear more towards like competition dogs meat dogs that kind of stuff where i'm gonna maybe breed to um let's say bing for example he's american field champion we want to get some more giddy up to our lines we're going to do an outcross like that and when i have people wanting a puppy and they plan on just having a companion, I'm just going to say, you know, this is probably not the breeding for you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, how about that Kent cartridge, baby? They got that fast steel 2.0. Hey, if you're not in the market for bismuth, I get it. But Fast Steel 2.0 is a great option for you and your dog to get more ducks in the bag. Strap them up, strap them in. Kent Fast Steel 2.0. Let's go. From the duck blind to the holding blind, baby, it's Purina. Our young dogs are eating the puppy blend. Large breed puppy formula should be fed to puppies from eight weeks when you get that little bundle of joy home, that little cuddly wuddly buddy, all the way to about a year old. We want that dog to develop at a good consistent rate we don't want them to grow too fast too soon and so that puppy formula is going to help accomplish that goal it's going to give them all the nutrients to develop their bones their joints their ligaments everything right feed that puppy formula till 12 months old and then flippity floppity to the 3020 pro plan when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. I think pairing the people with the dogs is huge. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, um, so when, with the pairing with people and what they're looking for and stuff, do you, do you choose the puppy for the family or do you say like, Oh, first pick of the litter and blah, 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 and do that sort of thing. So I do first pick, a, you know, who's ever had our deposit with us the longest has first pick. 
Um, but I'm very honest when I talk about these puppies. So let's say first pick is just a companion dog. There maybe we'll take it out girls hunting twice a year, but the rest of the time it's going to be a couch potato. And he has first pick and he wants the puppy that's most outgoing and kind of wild and crazy and whatever. I might just suggest, you know, not might. I will straight up say it. I don't think that's a good puppy mm-hmm. for you. Ultimately, it's their decision, but this is my job. This is what I do full time. So you're going to listen to me or look at a couple of cute pictures and videos and say, that's the one I want. So technically, yes, ultimately I, I leave it up to them, but usually people are willing to listen to my advice. Yeah. We don't let people pick um, for that reason, right? Like mm-hmm. you're living in our home there. We transition them out to like a, I don't know how to describe it, but like a whelping area. Yep. They're with us, you know, multiple times a day, socializing multiple times a day. And I know who the butt kicker is and I know who's going to be a little bit more chill. And they kind of tell us, the owners kind of tell us like what their goals are, how much they hunt, what they want to do competition wise, or we do get family pets. And it's like, they don't, just because that's the cute one that cuddled up in your lap the first time, it's like, yeah, because he was just kicking butt for 40 minutes. Yeah. He's tired. Like, don't fall in love right away. Be willing to listen to you or the per- the other person who bred the litter and say, this one isn't the one you want, man. This is, this mm-hmm. is the, the one that's going to need to go to a hunt test home or uh, someone who trains a bunch and hunts a bunch or guides or whatever, like got to listen to the people who do it. That's what I tell people all the time. In fact, during COVID, um, we actually moved all of our picking process virtually anyways. So mm-hmm. I will FaceTime with the family if it's available, or I just like send some comparison videos so they can see the puppies side by side, that kind of stuff. And I tell them that every time now I'm sending you a couple minutes worth of videos. Granted, they've been watching the puppies on our Instagram and that kind of stuff, but you're what you are looking way too seriously about is something that I've been watching for six, seven weeks now. So don't be hung up on that. You know, it's just, it's silly in that two minutes. You're like, well, that one didn't chase uh, uh, the ball when you threw it or something. I'm like, probably six weeks old. Like they'll chase it eventually to trust me. So see, I'm, I'm thankful. I feel like most of the people will just kind of use my suggestions. And um, I feel like, you know, another thing I always tell people if they're really torn between two puppies, I always tell them you're never going to think about blue collar. Once you get home, if you pick green collar, you're not thinking about that other puppy once you get your pup home. So just great point. let it go. I never thought of it. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. I wish I had that one. Like, well, now you do. I mean, seriously, they're so excited and like, this is our baby. You know, they're like, but we really wish we had that puppy that we really, you know, that's never going to happen. No, no, you're absolutely so, right. Let's talk a little bit about health clearances and ethical breeding. Um, what does ethical breeding mean to you? I think that if you if you have one litter in your life, you're a breeder. And if you're a breeder, you need to be bettering the breed. So if you do a pairing because whatever reasons you want to give me, 
you should be bettering the breed. And what that means is, you know, especially with labs, there's so many different health issues that can be 100% avoided with proper health testing. I'm not saying that you need to eliminate a dog because it's a carrier of EIC or do this. Reba, for example, she was a carrier of EIC, but ethically we didn't breed her to another carrier with EIC. Um, you know, as long, and now we, our kennel is completely clear. We don't do carriers anymore. Not because I don't think it's okay, but just because people get so freaked out about a carrier when they actually have no idea what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, as far as what we do, I, my very first thing that I ever do is a genetic panel. Um, we do use paw prints, genetics, a lab essential panel, and you're testing for things like EIC, CNM, central nuclear myopathy, um, retinal dysplasia, acuskeletal dysplasia. There's all kinds of them that can be devo- avoided, you know, so you get the dog, you do the panel clear of everything. The problem with some of some people are like, well, we don't need to do that because the dog's clear of parentage. Well, that's great, but let me see the parents test because I think that over the years, um, people have just said they're clear by parentage, clear by parentage. And then you start seeing dogs that are affected by these diseases that shouldn't be worried about. Right. Yeah. So I think um, cleared by parentage was a thing eight years ago, which not that right. long ago, but eight mm-hmm. years ago, that was more commonplace to say that now it's not. Right. It's not at all. And it's a simple, it's like people are like, oh, I don't want to do the genetic test. Yes, it's expensive. But again, if you're going to be breeding, you have, you're going to have expenses that's going to come up. So it's really important to just, you know, withhold that integrity, whether you want to or not. It's important, in my opinion. Um, After that, we do eyes through OFA. And that is kind of a bummer because it has to be done by, a canine ophthalmologist and in our area we are about three and a half hours from the closest one but we still do it i'll bring all my young dogs in at once if i can and get that out of the way and then at two years of course you have their hips and elbows done through ofa and that is you know i think a lot of times is the scariest part for breeders because you've done all of this health testing they're good they're doing awesome and training their personality is what that you want and expect and then if you have their hips and elbows come back with something not good realistically could you breed that dog yes can they produce a litter yes but is that ethical no because we're here to better the breed so i just you know for example the heartbreak um you know, I had a dog, I actually kept a male out of my golden girl Reba. And, um, at the end of the day, it just wasn't something that I thought would be bettering our program. And I had to get rid of him. His name was Forrest. And I still cry about that. It was, it sucked. It was so hard, but again, we found, um, a really awesome family for him. He lives near the cities, but really active young couple who has a jolly pup from us. So, um, you know, there's just decisions that you have to make that are really hard and you don't want to do it, but 
I just always go back to, are you bettering the breed? Would this dog be a good specimen to reproduce? You know what I mean? And that's, um, everybody has their own opinions about it, but I think that at the end of the day, it comes down to, you just have to continue to do your best. And it sucks because there's a lot of dogs out there that are being bred in my opinion, pretty irresponsibly, but that's why I just think it's really important for people when they're looking for a new dog that you're going through a reputable breeder and a breeder that can provide proof. Yeah. Yeah. How, how would you suggest people doing research? Like what does that research look like? Like how do people find out stuff like that? Or maybe what do they look for? <clears throat> so I think, um, like actually having documents that, I mean, people are like, oh yeah, they have good hips and elbows. Okay. Well, can I see their, like, what's the registered name so I can look it up at the OFA database. Um, if you go to hunting lab pedigree, I, on that website, you can look at each dog and their health testing as well. So if you think, okay. And another thing that I think about is, okay, mom and dad both have good hips and whatever, but does grandma or, you know what I mean? Have their, what is the generational, um, evidence that these, not just mom and dad have been health tested, but three generations back, was there any evidence of hip dysplasia or, um, EIC or that kind of stuff. It's really interesting to see because I know everybody has to start somewhere, but if you look at most of our breedings, um, every single dog in that five generation pedigree has been cleared of damn near everything. Um, you know, genetic testing is something that has been coming up in the last 15, 20 years. Um, actually Minnesota is, um, where the EIC testing started and it's kind of just trickled down from that. We're finding more and more things that we can test for, which is really cool. But I think yeah. Minnesota is also working on uh, cruciate disease. Like, the ligament? Yeah, cruciate ligament disease. Is what yeah. The CCD or something. Cruciate. CL- it's kind of like the ACL in dogs, really. Yeah, so they're they're looking at it as can we prove genetically that dogs are going to be more predisposed to tearing their knees, their CC. Right. So I'm. We talked about with Doctor Joe Spoo uh, on a podcast a few months ago, Kevin. So maybe we can make a note in our podcast notes of like referencing that podcast num- number episode number mm-hmm. people want to listen but i'm pr- i'm like 99% sure it's minnesota again that's like the forefront of genetic testing i think that one might have been in wisconsin but regardless minnesota does have um some really great facilities that they are utilizing to try to figure this kind of stuff out and you know that's another thing as a breeder we're learning all the time i mean constantly different products different um you know the footing in your whelping bed you know that has changed in the last 10 years what is good and what is not um i just actually read an article about um the whelping process and having like a very dim and dark setting for mom to do that because that was like where 
it not in night nature they usually do it in, in night where they're protected and kind of hidden that kind of stuff so um knowledge is power and that's how we get better and there are some breeders who are like oh all these darn tests whatever and i think ultimately you it's it's good i mean i know sometimes it can be a little bit carried away but at the same time we want our dogs to live as long and as as healthy life as they possibly can, because we all know that they don't live long enough as is. So if there's any way that we can stretch out that lifespan, why would you not do it? Why would you, I mean, like the, the ligament thing, why would you not find out if we could avoid a three to $5,000 surgery? I mean, I'm sure in some areas it's way more than that. Um, if we can avoid that, why wouldn't we? Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the process. Um, you know, we, we actually kind of dabbled with it with Coccidia. When you have a mama dog, what are some things you do? Like, okay, let's, let's take it even further back. Sure. She comes into heat. We've done all our health testing, uh, I would encourage everybody to run hunt tests and get titles on their dog to show that they are proven that they can learn and do their job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but again, let's just say all the health testing is done on both parents. Everything's rocking and rolling. She comes into heat. Talk to me about your process. Um, normally I will deworm the mama before she is bred. Not that worms are evident but it's just in case they are i want to get that out of the way and that's a really simple thing that you can do what Um, what one do you use um for that i usually use safeguard it's a three-day wormer that's a little more comprehensive rather than like pyrantal um and that because that's just one less worry you have to if i mean if she's pregnant and then has worms you're going to run into some issues Mm -hmm. um so that's usually what we get out the gate and you know after the breeding I really don't treat them that much differently because I want them to be in shape. Um, We still go on walks. We still, I don't do a lot of training or anything like that, but they're still just as much a part of the pack than anything. The last like two weeks or so, I really start to be careful because I don't want them to like collide into another dog. And I mean, their womb sometimes gets really stretched, especially with big litters. I'm sure you've seen it with crews. I'm sure with those big litters, um, but you don't want them like getting bumped too much or I don't know, crazy things can happen. And you just want to keep those puppies as safe as you possibly can. But I also want the dog to be able to be in shape and healthy enough to do this litter on her own. Um, And I don't normally do a whole lot of supplements every now, like every other day or a couple times a week, we'll do like a prenatal vitamin. Um, but basically feeding them a healthy diet, we feed pro plan. I saw that you guys switched to that. Um, we've been feeding it for years and have had just so much success with it. You know, in the dog world, we talk about poop a lot because it (laughs) is a good indicator of their health, whether you like it or not. So the dogs have always have good stools on it. So Um, their coats look nice. So making sure that they have, um, a good healthy diet. I don't feed them a whole lot more because you don't want those puppies to get too big, but I also don't want to starve mama, you know? Um, Would you say, uh, I'm sorry. Some people will do puppy food for the mom. 
Do you do anything? Mm-hmm. Do you do that? Do you, or do you just straight up pro plan? Pro plan thirty twenty. It's that's you know puppy. You can do puppy food, and a lot of times after the puppies are born, I will give mama. I mean, they eat a lot after the puppies are born, but um, we'll incorporate some puppy food in that just because when the weaning process starts, I want her to be used to eating that so she doesn't get a stomach issue from you know cleaning up after the puppies. Um, and also just the, you know, calories and stuff that she needs to bounce back from a litter. I want to make sure I call it like refeeding, you know, um, having a litter is really hard on a mama dog. I mean, they, they blow their coat, they lose a lot of weight. They get, it's stressful. I mean, it's all kinds of different hormones and all the crazy enough stuff that goes on, um, in birth and rearing them. So, um, we just try to keep them. I mean, we feed every two to three hours a lot, like as much as, not as much as they want because they'll eat themselves sick, but um, we make sure to make, you know, give them adequate diet and, you know, just take care of them the best that we can. So, so you're not big on supplements then other than maybe some pre prenatal vitamins. Mm-hmm. We have used some some supplements in the past, and I honestly just didn't see a huge change in it. We tried um, from Revival Health. There's a product called Be Strong. Um, we used that for probably about a year, and I didn't see any significant difference. So we stopped doing that, and I still didn't see any difference. So we just kind of cut it out, you know. Yeah. Sometimes I know that this is probably controversial, but I do get asked a lot. From as a trainer, like, do we give supplements to our dogs and and what have you? It's like any anything. I have not seen like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I've heard amazing stories, but right. do they want to see amazing stories, or are they really getting them? And so, I just have never had an uh, experience myself where I'm like, this works. Right. Maybe I got to try other stuff. I don't know, but. I, I feel the same way and I'm willing to try stuff as long as it's safe, obviously. But, yeah. um, if I don't see a significant difference in it, then what's the point? You're just, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me. And with a good quality food, you shouldn't have to worry about them lacking or having deficiencies in a certain substance in their body because that food should have it in there. Um, something we do do just to like, create some variety for them as we'll feed like different fruits and vegetables. Um, you know, we'll do that kind of stuff just to give them some variety in their meals. Um, for mamas, we'll try to, you know, up their calcium with, um, like cottage cheese and vanilla ice cream as like a treat while they're nursing. Um, but no, I think, you know, if, if you have a good food, you shouldn't have to worry too much about supplements in my opinion. Very good. All right, let's talk about uh, the days leading up to go time. What are you preparing for? What are you looking for? How do you get them used to their space? So our the way our well-being rooms are set up is they're attached to our kennel. And I've got a big one and a small one, one with three pens and one with two. So kind of depending on the female is where I will place that particular dog. Um, if there's a mama who's like Jolie, for example, if there's stuff going on, she wants to see what's happening, you know, 
So I usually put her in the smaller one that's a little bit more secluded for her. Um, but if we have, you know, three litters at a time, I'll put them there. But um, first of all, you just want to make sure that they have their space and help them get comfortable in it. So usually like a week and a half to two weeks, I will get them in that whelping pen and, you know, they have their blankets and their water and stuff. So they're used to that environment and leading up to it. Um, once the second day 59 turns, I start checking temps twice a day. Um, their temperature is the first thing that will indicate that labor is starting. If you miss the physical signs, so the temperature, I mean, I'm not out there 24 seven with them. So if they, um, maybe they threw up or they are nesting and stuff, I might not always catch that, but I am going to catch a temp drop. And that's when, you know, like we're getting close. Yep. So, and that's kind of cool that too. So, so someone who doesn't know it's dog's normal temperature is like 101. And when they are starting to go into labor, it will drop down around like 98, 99. Um, so that's when we are watching really close. When that time starts to drop, we are going to, we know it's going to be go time within the next 24 hours. Um, and then we don't leave their side. <laughs> we sleep out there. I've got um, a recliner in one room and a cot in the other. And we are with that dog um, throughout the whole thing. You know, there's, some people I think that just put them in the room and say, good luck kid. <laughs> and, um, there's just so many complications that can happen during birth. And I want to make sure that, um, I've got puppies that are breathing and latching and doing all that stuff. I want to make sure mama's not, um, stressed or having like a stuck puppy or a breech puppy or that kind of stuff. Um, we've seen some crazy stuff. And if we weren't there, I mean, you could have lost the mom and that sort of thing. I think that's another thing that people, don't realize is that anytime you breed a dog, you have a risk of losing the mom. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of complications that can happen with birth and thankfully it's not very common, but it's always a possibility. So, um, yeah, we just try to make sure that everybody is good and calm. We usually have a radio, usually classic rock or country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah. Out of all the litters you've done, how many are during the day where you're like, oh, man, I got a good night's sleep last night? <laughs> None. <laughs> <laughs> I've Actually, had one. I've had yeah. one. Actually, my most recent one was Mitty. One of my, she's phenomenal, but it was the perfect well-being time ever. We had some friends up and we had a really good Friday, Saturday and we were just going to plan on a really chill day on Sunday. And I checked her temp that morning and it was dropping. I'm like, oh, maybe come on. Let's just get this done with. Mm -hmm. At 9.30 a.m., she started having puppies. I'm like, this is a dream on a Sunday. We've got nothing going on. Like, it's, it was perfect. And she was wrapped up by the time, I don't know, probably like four or five that evening and then she's exhausted. I'm tired. So I'm like, good night girl. We'll see you. In the you know, I'm yeah. sleeping out there with her, but man, that was like a dream come true. But yeah, you're right. Most of the time it's like the most inconvenient time. Yeah. Um, or so, holidays. They love to have puppies on holidays for some reason. Yeah. We're here. We're, we're. Mm -hmm. in so yeah. I had one, the cruise's last letter. Uh, time dropped 
life is good. Um, and, and she's been two in the morning, like clockwork, like, all right, it's going to be a long day. It's going to be a long night. I had clients coming into town from far away, which mm-hmm. you, so just a backstory, you, uh, work with Richard, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Richard Meisman, um, yeah. trains a lot of your dogs. Um, so you know, the game, like there are people from hours and hours and hours and hours and hours all over yeah all over and this this person mm-hmm. comes and it's pounding rain and i'm like so i'm out there training with him and i'm like hey dude i'm just gonna go check on her she had already had one i'm like oh, oh yeah call him i'm like hey bud um you're welcome to walk your dog around the field and have fun i'm gonna be busy forever yeah but she like <sighs> this was her fourth litter. So I just figured we were going to be cool. Like, okay, it tonight it's going to be game time. I can go deal with this client for two hours. I can come back yeah. in and just like get settled and like, <clears throat> he'll be cool. And usually I have other help here, you know, whether it's my fiance or employees like to go bop mm-hmm. and check on her and stuff. And it's like, of course she did, but she had one, everything was good to go. And then it was, like clockwork for her. And she would, like I said, she was a phenomenal mom, like no issues on any of the litters. I haven't been that lucky other times. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever really talked about it on the podcast, Kev, but um, we have lost one puppy while I whelped them. That sucked. Yeah. I have awful. lost two puppies. I had a, a friend of mine in South Carolina that would whelp for me. Um, that's kind of her side business to help fund her training fees and like her, her hobby. Um, yep. and she has like a straight facility. It's, she went to, she's an older lady retired and she went to school for this, like a six month breeding and whelping school. She's got ultrasound equipment. She's got it all right. Right. And two two were lost with her and they were a little bit older. So like they had already been, someone had like, I had to call a future puppy owner and be like, Hey, I'm sorry to tell you, but we lost one and it's yours. Um, those are really hard things to deal with. And then this last litter I did, we had an emergency C-section. And yeah. It was Saturday at one o'clock. Nobody's open. So I drove yeah. about 90 miles an hour to Cornell and sat there till nine o'clock at night until they brought me my dog and my puppy. It was shitty. Yeah, it's, I don't, I mean, it's hard to talk about like the horror stories of breeding, but we've definitely, I mean, we, you, we've lost puppies and like you said it's hard when you have to make that phone call and say I don't have a puppy for you anymore it is the worst part of this job like I will clean up poop and clean pens all day but making those phone calls it just sucks the life right out of me because I just feel like a failure and I know a lot of times sometimes I think that you know, things happen for a reason and it's, I did everything I could to prevent it. And this is what happened. Um, but that doesn't make it easier, you know? Yeah. Um, and even 
like an emergency C-section, we've had uh, our, we've had plenty or not plenty, but we've had enough of those that, you know, when it's time that you're going to need to do this. And we had, actually, it was a rooster daughter. Her name was Jewel. She had an emergency C-section, batter home. And dogs are remarkable, I will say, when they have a C-section. It is insane how quickly they bounce back from that, which I'm grateful for. But it's also something, obviously, we want to avoid. But um, she just was not getting better. I'm like, something is not right. And we ended up having to bring her back in because like I, she was literally dying as puppies were nursing on her and we brought her back in. They had to open her back up and she was bleeding internally and just a random or not random, but an unexpected thing. And actually Parker, um, it's kind of cool. Dogs don't have blood types. I don't know if you knew that, I did not but Parker, our biggest, strongest boy, we brought him in and did a blood transfusion and that's what saved her. But I mean, we could have lost her pretty easily that day if we didn't know what we were dealing with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, man, let's give it one more hour. Yeah. And that hour can literally be life or death. So, um, it's, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. I like to think that and most days are, which I think that's the reason why we keep doing this. But there are definitely some times that really are heartbreaking and hard and things that you have to stomach, things that you wouldn't really um, ever foresee happening, but it's nature. It's not perfect and things are going to go awry at times. So, yeah. All right, when you're looking for supplies to help you and your dog train, we've got you covered. It's LoneDuckOutfitters.com. It's a no-brainer. You can Google it. No biggie. Link's going to be in the description to make it even easier. Whether you need bumpers, launchers, e-collars, swag, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. Check it out. We appreciate all your support. Is there any interesting to think about? Like When I talk with other people about this who aren't really in the dog world and they don't fully understand it and it's like oh like that's for me it's like oh my side job or or whatever right like wow you know it's not life and death like why don't you fall asleep while the puppies are they're having puppies or what okay well for, for this is life and death like this isn't a joke like this mm-hmm. this is actually life and death mind you kevin Possibly. and rachel slept next to their dog and the puppies for eight weeks <laughs> the entire eight weeks the entire eight weeks <laughs> The entire eight weeks, they put their bed upstairs eight weeks. The whole eight I weeks. I love that. Yeah, they, um, were, they were good but, dogs. But, it's, but it's interesting, like not, I don't know, like as a grown adult, like there's not that many things that you do, or at least that I do, that are like full on, these are life and death things. Like there's no messing around. There's no room right. for error. Yeah, it's it's. It really is. And, you know, we also, people are like, you can't, you sleep out in the kennel. I'm like, damn right. I do. <laughs> Cause like, yeah. I want to make for sure that everything is okay. Like a mom can lay in a puppy like that. And normally, I mean, they're good about it and we've got pig rails and all things to prevent that, but it's happened. And if you're out there and hear that puppy crying, you can get up and keep it safe. If you're not, then you might lose that pup. And not only am I going to have to break a family's heart by telling them that, but I also, this is my income too, you know? So if I have to work my butt off for, you know, these litters, I'm going to do it because their safety and health is very important to me. 
how long do you stay out there? I, I'm like four to seven days. I'll sleep on the couch with them. I usually uh, about a week, give or take. I used to until they were weaned pretty much. Oh, yeah, but now it kind of also depends on the female too. There's some that I'm like, oh, she's fine. And and litter size too. If it's a small litter, I'm like, they're going to be fine. But if it's a larger litter and they've got less space to you know, have some real estate, then I'm going to stay out there for longer just to make sure. But, you know, during that first week, they're doing so much development and so much growth that you can kind of, you can see when they're going to be able to save themselves almost, you know what I mean? Like they're, when they are enough, they're strong enough that they can kind of wiggle out from mom if they're behind or that kind of stuff. Um, then it kind of eases my mind a little bit. So we'll start, but I'm still out there every, like I'll sleep on the couch then. And then I have an alarm every two to three hours to like, just go check, see if mom needs a snack or needs to be let out or that kind of stuff. So even though you're not sleeping out there, you're still up all the time. It's like having a newborn again. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, During the birthing process, what are like, I know the drug oxytocin. Mm-hmm. Oxytocin is a, a drug that you give the mother dog to help her push. Um, I think they give that to humans too, right? They do. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, do you have that on hand? Is that something you is a last ditch effort? Are there other things that you'll? What are you looking for to be sure that the mother's done? Like, what are kind of precautions and things that you have on hand? or no, this is an emergency or non-emergency, et cetera. Um, to get into like a really nitty gritty about it. Um, we do have oxy. I don't usually use oxytocin until they are like looking like they're done, but just by like palpating them, if I think I feel another puppy in there, but they're just, she's not just having like natural contractions. We'll give oxytocin, um, to induce those contractions. That's basically what it does is, um, contracts the muscles of the uterus to force the puppy out, not force it, but just kind of kickstart that. Um, so I do have it on hand. I don't use it very often. Um, you could use it for every puppy if you want, but I just don't think that's very healthy to do unless it's like an emergency. Um, but we have lube on hand and, you know, if you can feel a puppy stuck, um, basically the the ugly side of it, but you have to lube up your hand and try to get that puppy out. You know, if it's too big to pass the birth, pass the birth canal, um, if it's just like she's having contractions, but there's just no progress on that puppy because you can feel them, um, if they're not coming down far enough because you have risk of losing that pup if they're in the birth canal for too long. So we'll do whatever it takes to get that puppy out. Um, there are different techniques, like, um, I guess I don't, I can't think of the proper terms of them, but, um, one we call the wheelbarrow where you have, if you have help or you put the mama's front paws on your shoulders and so basically she's standing on her hind legs you have gravity is helping you sometimes that can help the contractions kind of force that puppy down when you open up that birth canal um and there's another technique that you can do with the mom is on the back um 
And honestly, I haven't been as successful as I, so I usually use the wheelbarrow if I have a stuck puppy, um, just getting them up and walking and stuff, which makes it really interesting. I've had puppies born in the snow when it's 40 below and I'm like catching them with a towel outside. Cause that just, yeah, how it happened. Yeah. Um, that's so Minnesota of you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Minnesota of you. <laughs> For sure. Man, I tell you what, sometimes people on Instagram and stuff would be like, it's 40 below and you're snowshoeing with the dogs. I ho- that's torture to them. I'm like, it's not. They need exercise just as much as anybody. And it's 40 below. It's not like we're out there for an hour, but we'll go for a quick 20 minute walk. You bundle up. And when they start lifting their paws, we head in. It's not a big deal. That's awesome. That is very Minnesota. Yeah. Um, what about like talk about the term you used earlier breach right so with quinn the one i had to do the emergency c-section mm-hmm. uh several were coming out not head first but feet feet first like butt first and yep. she was really getting exhausted from those so i'm i guess i'm asking for my knowledge but sure I'll kind of give you the back. So, you know, she's contracting. She's really putting a ton of energy into this one puppy. Mm -hmm. Trying, trying, trying. I help pull out. Puppy's good. She's good. Yep. We, We were off and running, if you will. And then like, bang, bang two more came out. Like it was as if they were in the shoot, like. Yeah. Helping me. Um, but what would be a breach and what would be a scenario where you say, I'm going to stay hands off, I'm going to move in and help. So breach is just when the puppy is not nose down, it's coming through the brick canal backwards and there's nothing you can do to prevent that. Um, but sometimes breach babies shoot out just normally. And other times you can tell when that mama is working really hard It's pretty interesting when you've done it enough, you can kind of, you can tell where that baby is in the birth canal. You know, you can see that puppy's body before the it's born. So if that, if we can see that lump and feel that lump and you're having active contractions and it's not going through, the next thing we'll do is go up and assist that puppy. It's very, very important to pull as she's contracting. um, Cause with that natural, push and then you're pulling it's a lot safer for the puppy um and easier on mom too if you just try to yank it out that's hurtful for her um and it can be detrimental to to the puppy and the sack and all the things so um you know with usually if again it's so different with every single dog but you can tell when they need help. You can just, they're exhausted. They keep having contractions. And I mean, if you obviously you have seen it, but for people who haven't, you can tell a contraction, like their whole body is tensing up and you can see their kind of tail arching and stuff like that. Um, and if she has those contractions again and again, again, and nothing is coming to fruition, that's a time that you need to, okay, let's change something up first before I go up there. I usually like, let's go take a walk. Cause sometimes just move, getting up and moving the dog can be enough to help things progress. Yeah. I get Some, them to bounce on a BOSU ball. 
Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> it's like you. <laughs> you really cracked yourself Dear up, God. didn't you? I did just crack myself up. I was waiting for the moment. Yeah, there you go. Oh, uh, Bob man. was born breech. Yeah, fact of the day. Yeah, did I had that wrapped around my neck. Yeah, that's back why I'm a little weird. My daughter was also breech. Anyone's curious? And... Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. It happens. Happens to the best. Oh yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. So. All right, I did before I made my my bosey. <laughs> I had another thing, but but yeah, help me keep rolling because it'll come back to me. Um, okay. um okay. I'm yeah, interested, so, like when when you in the thick of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like one of the things that I I ran into is my dog was snacking on placentas, like treats, which yep. For anybody listening, and also correct me if I'm wrong, but like. It's okay to eat a couple. That's good for him. We're cool. She went to town and was snacking them before I could grab them and remove them. Mm-hmm. Um, remove them, like take them so that she didn't eat all of them. And she had the right. runs bad. Yeah. How many? Um, do you have like a number? Like I'll let the dog try and eat like one or two, or do you just like free for all, like ride it out? I don't really have a number on it. I try to take them away from the moms because you said they're going to have the runs, but they're going to have the runs no matter what. That's just a fact of life. They're eating more, they're stressed, they're, you know, it's kind of inevitable part of it. Um, And the placentas do have a lot of benefits to be consumed by the mom. I mean, they're packed with nutrients and a lot of calories i mean that placenta kept that puppy alive in the womb so obviously it's good for something so i never tried to withhold all of them but when they eat all of but when they consume all of them they can get messy sometimes so um we try to get rid of them um as soon as we can but if we miss a couple here and there it's just not a big deal i'm like have at it girl especially if they want to eat while they're um in that process it's like you, you do you because you're doing all the work right now. So when they come out uh, again, if anyone has never done this puppy comes out, it's in a sack. Do you assist the mom in breaking the sack and help that puppy with breathing and revitalize it and get it, mm-hmm. get it going? Or do you say nature take course and let the mom lick it and get it off? We do everything um, just because I I want to make sure that that puppy is breathing. And yeah, mama can do a great job and have, I mean, obviously, like you said, with I can't remember what dog you said, but she had already had a puppy. Like they're very capable of it. But again, it goes back to trying to save every single puppy in that litter. So absolutely, I will make sure that puppy is breathing and all is well and then give it back to mom. And then she does what she would have done if I hadn't taken, you know, she still licks them over, make sure that that pup's breathing and stuff. And then um, it's just really important for to make sure that they're all latching too afterwards, you know. Um, so and it's just easier when you handle it yourself, you can make sure that there's no more liquid in there nasal passage or mouth and that kind of stuff because i mean easily that can develop into pneumonia you know um so just making sure their airway is clear and and the umbilical cord too isn't too too short that you're running into umbilical hernias and that kind of stuff um that's a good point 
Um, so, uh, just to take a step back. So mm-hmm. you help break the sack. I do the same. Yep. I have one of those baby booger sucker thingies. Yep. You use the same thing. Yep. Yep. Both nostrils. I'll do it down the mouth a little bit. Yep. Rub them up. Yep. Hold the puppy upside down because the gravity can help you get that liquid out. Um, and you can, I mean, we have, um, rags upon rags upon rags that we just have thrifted or people have given old towels and that kind of stuff and you can rub those puppies like crazy like pretty vigorously and it's how i always have to remind myself like you need to breathe too while you're doing this yeah <laughs> so the second though you hear that puppy make the first squawk it's like oh, we're good you know um and there has been times that I thought for sure this puppy was gone. You know, stillborns are a real thing that you've dealt with. But I learned from Linda to never, ever, ever give up on a puppy. I mean, I've worked on a puppy for 15 to 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, it started taking its own breaths. And man, is that rewarding. Because, you know, again, if you are new to it and you're scared or whatever, you could be like, well, that's a stillborn. Yeah. But in all reality, they could have, you know, they just need extra support, you know? So um, it's really important to me to, and a really rewarding sound of those first puppy cries and they're squawking. It's like that you can just breathe a sigh of relief on your own. But absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we always keep oxygen on hand too, in case I have a puppy who's just not coming around. We'll try to use oxygen to help and, that's nice to have. Now, that's really interesting. What does that process look like? You can just have like an oxygen concentrator with like a little plastic cup around it, basically on the end of the hose. And so we'll just put the puppy's head like in the cup and just give them some extra oxygen to help them try to encourage breaths and make sure that they're getting the oxygen that they need. That's cool. Umbilical hernias. Are, at, are relatively common. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a can, lot of before people... you even dig into that, can you explain what that is, please? So umbilical well, you're not, hernia. Bob's not a doctor. Yeah, so, I'm not a doctor. Uh, sure. You could explain <laughs> yeah. what that means, please. I'm not a doctor either, but I'll explain well, you'd it. Be like, more. you deliver puppies. <laughs> it's fine. So an umbilical hernia is basically where the your belly button, where the umbilical cord is attached to the pup. Um, there's a little hole in that muscle that it just never closed up. So it can be as small as like, um, the tip of your pinky. I've seen as, as big as like a quarter that when you rub that puppy's belly button, if you will, there's like, you can physically feel a hole and sometimes they can get big enough that their intestines will like start coming out on that. And you have to like massage it to go back in. Um, so in my opinion, ways to prevent it is making sure that you're taking that pup um, and cutting the umbilical cord yourself because sometimes moms just get a little vigorous with it. And the reason that they happen is when the mom is like chewing it off, um, it's pulling those muscles and there's a possibility for it to develop into a hernia. Um, Sometimes it's natural too. And even sometimes when we do it, we've gotten a hernia if you know, if the umbilical cord got ripped prior to the puppy coming out, there's all kinds of different variations of it. 
The good news is, is that they oftentimes heal themselves, um, especially if you catch it well enough, like early enough. So normally um, with um, like early neurological stimulation, which I'm not sure, sure if you guys know or do, do it, it or what have a oh, perfect. Awesome. You may or may you not check have out a, our video on YouTube. We may or may not have a YouTube video on awesome. it. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll have to check We're that gonna out. We're going to link that too, in the description in case anyone's curious. Yeah. That's something that is miraculous how much of an impact it has on dogs. But so normally when I do that, um, when I'm done with it, I will just give their belly button a little massage because um, even at a young age, if you can't usually detect it when they're that small, but if you do it just out of practice, um, what you're doing by massaging that is basically in, um, encouraging growth in those muscles to close it up. So then when they're older and you're like, definitely, this is a hernia, we just, you know, put pressure on it and just kind of give it a massage a couple. I mean, sometimes it's only twice a day and sometimes I'm out there 10 times a day, you know depending on the severity and oftentimes that will naturally heal up. And if it doesn't, then, um, I usually tell people just to wait. And if they're planning on neutering or spaying to do it at that same time. So the dog doesn't have to go under anesthesia for a quick, like two stitch thing, but, um, no, it's a pretty minor inconvenience in my opinion. Yeah. Agreed. So you end up clipping the umbilical cord to the best of your ability for each puppy. How do you Mm -hmm. go about doing that? Because I am cumbersome in my efforts. Yeah. um, Well, having a good clamp and sharp scissors will help you a lot. Um, But basically we have, you know, I kind of lay out like a table with like towels and stuff and I try to stabilize that puppy as after I get them breathing. Um, and then basically just keeping them, I mean, they're squirmy, but sure. clamping it and leave that clamp on for a little bit. Um, I'll even like leave it on, hold the puppy and just kind of give it some more stimulation. So I know it's still breathing and kicking good. And then it's just a quick snip. I just make sure that it's not bleeding after the clamp. and then when you remove the clamp, just make sure that it doesn't continue to bleed. And if it does continue to bleed, reclamp it for a little bit. Um, I don't know. Does that answer your question? It does. How much do you leave? Like, um, so you can kind of see at the base of, I'm really bad at measurements, but like at the base of the umbilical cord, you can see that there's like a little bit of white mm-hmm. towards the end of the body. So I'll probably do like, maybe like this much, like half, Half inch, three quarters of an inch, half an inch. Um, Clamp it at that three quarters of an inch, and then snip. Yeah, snip it right after that. Yeah, I'm a failure at some of that. It's okay. It takes getting yeah. used to it because they're it they are squirmy. I mean, you'd be surprised how strong newborn puppies are. It's wild, but it's so Hungry. cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. amazing. Um, all right, we talked about that the the actual birthing process what we didn't really talk about to an extent is like go time emergency crap sitting the fan how do you know what's the gut feeling do you have you know people on hand to make that phone call and be like this is what's happening you know how do you go about 
handling an emergency so that you, the mom and the puppies have the best chance at success? Um, I rely heavily on Linda, to be completely honest. She has been doing this forever. I mean, before she bred labs, she grew up in upper Michigan and raised fox and mink and she did coon dogs and she did, well, obviously labs forever. She did bulldogs for a while. She was also a registered nurse. So she's very knowledgeable. So I will call her and say, Linda, I'm not feeling good about this. And she just kind of goes down the list. Like when's the last puppy to be born? What is, so a lot of times I think documentation is really important. Every time a puppy is born, write down what time that puppy was born, you know, and as her contractions are happening, um, what, what are her contractions look like? Are they, cause you can tell the difference between like a very strong and of like productive contraction rather than just her body is contracting, you know? Um, so if there is a significant time, again, depending on the dog, like if it has been over two hours since the last puppy and she's just having, I know there's more puppies in there and she's just not having productive, um, contractions is when I start getting a little worried. Um, when the mom just looks really fatigued, she's not checking up on her baby. She's not like moving around. She's just kind of stagnant. Yeah. Um, and you can, I mean, I've had, I've had crazy instances that like a puppy was born, like, I don't know, 14 hours after the last pup, I thought she was done completely. And then all of a sudden she had another puppy in the morning. Um, So it really, it's really dependent on the dog. And I think that's why it's important to know your dogs really well. Um, It's always scary with first time moms because you don't really know or what to expect, but um, I don't really have a good answer for you other than go with your gut. Cause like a time frame, like you had kind of said it two hours contraction like two hours if she's if she hasn't had a puppy in over two hours and then she's you know i i still give it time but then i'm watching even more closely i'm trying to notice exactly what those contractions are looking like um if she looks uncomfortable and that kind of stuff but i think that you know especially when you get to like four five six hours after the last puppy and you know there's still puppies in there um then it would be a call to the vet for sure and it's tough in our area we live it's just so rural that um our town doesn't have an emergency vet which is really a bummer um but there's one that's about an hour from us and then a a bigger one that's about two and a half hours so at that point you just have to make the decision like think we can wait till morning or is this go time right now um and oftentimes i like to err on the side of caution i just it's not worth trying to save a couple bucks to wait until morning sometimes. Um, and maybe that's me overreacting, but ultimately I want to keep that mom safe is my number one priority. So, um, I don't think it's overreacting at all. I think it goes back to our conversation of, uh, but this is life and death. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's not, we've said it a thousand times. If you're, breeding dogs to make money you're in it for the wrong reasons like you're not (laughs) you're probably gonna lose but yeah um let's talk a little bit about the danger zone if you will 
of the first several days of birth, what you're looking for in the puppies, temperatures, how to keep them alive and happy and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, the first 72 hours are so critical with newborns. Um, they can fail so, so fast. Um, you can have a puppy nursing totally fine in the morning and by night it's so lethargic that it's not doing anything. Um, so monitoring them is very, very important. I mean, we're out there pretty much 24 seven, the first 72 hours. Um, and as far as warmth goes, puppies cannot regulate their own body temperature until around three weeks old. So we make sure to have that well-being room very, very warm. Um, I'm talking usually between like our well-being rooms are usually kept for that first week around like 75 to 82, depending on the time of year. And obviously when it's 40 below, we're keeping it a little warmer. Mm -hmm. Um and making sure that they have a heat source aside from mom that they can escape. Like you don't want the whole bottom of your well-being pan to be heated because if a puppy gets overheated, you want them to be able to move away from that heat. Um, but basically just um, what I do is take weights morning and night those first couple of days just to make sure that I'm seeing an increase of at least one ounce in their weight. Um, obviously we'd like to see more than that, but I think that at least if they gain an ounce in a day, that's kind of what our goal is. And if you see a puppy that is lethargic and not doing well, I will make an extra effort to just make sure that that puppy has access to a nipple, maybe pushing some of the stronger puppies aside. If that puppy is not latching, that's when you start to kind of intervene. And I mean, I've, uh, we've two fed puppies we've have like a a really cool product actually we got from france it's like a silicone feeder that has like nipples on it um that I has been that. really helpful isn't it amazing it's yeah it helps with this last litter it really does come in handy so that kind of stuff um have you ever tube fed a puppy yeah that was a learning curve for me, but that litter really wasn't one of mine. I was working for another guy and she had 14 and we ended up losing several out of it. Um, you know, they'd get too cold and they couldn't, they just couldn't bounce back. But we, it was between his wife himself and me every two hours. Mm -hmm. And we just, we rocked it as best as we could. Um, and so, yeah, I learned that was the first litter I ever helped with or saw get born or like anything. And it was the first a challenging puppy, one. First puppy I ever had to bury. I mean, it was like shitty, mm -hmm. but a good learning experience. And yeah, yep. Um, the, the silicone thing you're talking about, mm -hmm. that was helpful. I think it was Memphis's litter. We had a run. Who, Can you describe exactly like what that is or the name of it or or I'll see if I can Google it real quick while she describes yeah, it. Yeah, it's like um it's like a silicone cylinder that you put the formula in the inside and then there's four teats, if you will, but like really mimics the anatomy of a mom. 
So instead of like using a baby bottle that's meant for humans, I've used, yeah, I've used um, makeup sponges that we had cut into like a triangle shape and then put a syringe in the back of it. And so they basically like sucking on the, on the sponge. Mm-hmm. we've gotten that in the past like there's a lot of different ways that you can feed a puppy but this is like the safest way in my opinion because it mimics so much what a mom's anatomy would be so it they can control like them yeah they like can yeah at it and... yeah like it's soft for them and they can control the flow of the milk that's coming down that's like the number one problem with like actual baby bottles is sometimes that milk just comes way too fast. And then you're looking at, um, aspirational, um, or pneumonia from aspiration and that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know, it's an awesome product and it wasn't cheap, but I am so thankful that we have it on hand. Yeah. In relation to a puppy price, it's cheap. Yeah. Yep. Um, I just looked it up. It basically, I just Googled silicone puppy feeder and the one I got popped up. So, and it, it's mm-hmm. affordable. So, um, but the one that we needed it for, you know, we did the same thing. We would pull all the puppies out, put her in there with mom. She like didn't have enough energy to even nurse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bottle fed her, then transitioned to this thing started really making progress. Then all of a sudden she bounced back. She's in training right now and is probably one of the baddest puppies of that litter. Isn't she, that so she awesome? Is, like she is bad to the bone. Yes. Like super it's... healthy, super smart, hard charging, bad to the bone. Her name is Monroe. Monroe, I love that. Yeah, yeah it is bone. like when you say it, like never give up on a puppy. That's yeah. one of the probably the greatest lessons that Linda has ever taught me is that you they go down quick, but if you are diligent, you're diligent and you're doing the best that you can. There's a lot of times that they will bounce back. And man, like you said, it's it's rewarding when you can see that dog being an adult, and it it makes it worth it. It makes that stress and this uncertain times totally worth it. Um, but yeah, we've, it's, it's pretty amazing. And I think that people think like, oh, you just have puppies and then you sell them or whatever, but there's so many different factors that goes into it. And, um, you know, different things that we have to do to keep those pups alive and doing good. And yeah, I don't know, but it is, it's very rewarding for sure. Let's segue that into, we got, do you keep them eight weeks? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you talked about early neurological stimulation. Give a two-minute overview of that, and we'll drop a link to our YouTube video for people to see it. Um, But talk a little bit about that, and then what else do you do with those puppies from, you know, now that we're out of the danger zone of the first 72 hours, one week, what are we doing with them to build a bad-to-the-bone family member and duck dog? Sure. So, um Early neurological stimulation is really fascinating, um, the amount of benefits that it has and proven to have, but it can help a dog's immune system. It can help them um, deal with stress as an adult dog. It gets them just used to their body and aware of different environments and different, you know, environmental factors. Um, There's, it's pretty, just Google it. (laughs) Yeah. 
you could talk about that forever, honestly, but it's a quick um, routine that you do with them. You hold them upright for three seconds, um, hold them down with their head down um, on their back and then um, putting them like on a cool damp cloth. And these are all just like three seconds at a time. It's pretty quick, but the benefits of it is so worth it. Um, and then the last thing is just having that tactile pressure on their pads. Um, so that is done until their eyes open up, usually around the two week mark. And after that, I really just want to make sure that those puppies are still being handled and still being loved on and no people, no voices. I always have a radio playing in our kennel. Um, you know, we introduce toys when, and I always hang our toys in our pens just so that they stay as clean as possible. Um, but they still have the opportunity to explore them and play with them and, um, that kind of stuff. Um, as far as like noises, I obviously have the radio on, but I will, you know, people are like, Oh, I don't want a gun shy dog. What have you do? I'm like, I'm not going to blast a 12 gauge in the kennel. Like I'm not doing that. But what I will do is like drop a pan like our, our feeding dishes onto the floor because dogs are never afraid of gunfire. They're afraid of loud, unexpected noises. So if you can get them used to that before they're introduced to gunfire, then gunfire is just going to be like, Oh, what's no big deal. You know? Um, so I'll do stuff with like that. I usually don't bring the puppies outside until they're uh, six weeks and have had their vaccination. But before that I have them in, in the whelping rooms, in our office, different areas in the kennel. Um, and once they get outside, I try to get them out there as often as we can. And it is my favorite part. I tell you what, when those puppies are like chasing leaves and just being puppies, you know, when they get their zoomies and they're like roaming about and running Jumping into on each, top other. Of each other and biting yeah. each other's tails and then falling yeah. asleep immediately after and it's just it is so much fun and they're like little ducklings everybody i have a lot of comments that will say like aren't you afraid you're gonna lose one of them especially if like a big litter i'd say i have 12 puppies outside like i'm never worried about that because they follow me like a duckling i just say come on pop, 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 and they'll go through the yard with me yeah. and um yeah, you know, I think it's just important to be as hands-on as you can and making sure that that dog is used to being held. It's used to having different pressures. It's used to having um, different environments, different objects that they're seeing around other dogs, too. I don't usually like to bring the mamas out just because if they're weaned, then the moms usually don't want a whole lot to do with them anyways. Yeah. So I have, I call them my auntie dogs. Like Jolie is probably the best auntie dog or Norm does really well with them too. But um, I'll bring some adult dogs out there with them so they can um, just kind of watch an adult and see how they act. And, you know, dogs, they teach themselves or each other really, really well. That's why I always recommend for somebody who's like, Oh, I'm not going to get a puppy until my other one passes. I That's like the worst idea in my opinion. Like get a puppy when you have an established, well-behaved dog and you will be so thankful for it. Yeah, no, it's a good, good piece of advice for sure. Um, Yeah, I think, so we do the early neurological simulation. Um, We rigged up it for the noise. It's kind of mm-hmm. funny. 
and it's super redneck. But one of my employees took a couple empty beer cans and strung them up against the the fencing, if you will, of where the yep. dog. So every time you open that door, it jingles a little bit. So at feeding time, it's like I'm racking that as loud yeah. as possible. First time they're like, "Oh, what is this?" Hell second yeah. Time, yeah. Second time it's less. Third time they're like, "It's freaking feeding time," and they get pumped yep. up. And so they're you're acclimating them t- to things that might make them nervous, right. not nervous, awesome. And then becomes like a, a, almost like Pavlov's dog, right? Like he'd ring the bell and it'd start drooling. Like they start they getting yeah. used to these noises and sounds and things that four days ago, you know, they'd kind of like hunker down and be like, what is this? No. All of a sudden, three days later, they're bouncing up and down, pumped. and Like it ain't no thing and I'm ready to eat for sure. Yep. And so it's just, mm-hmm. it's like little baby things. And I'm not, I don't know how many litters we've done now but you have way more experience. And so I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying listening and learning myself. But what I'm kind of gathering is like the fulfillment that you get, get from it is the same fulfillment I get. Like I hope to get several of them back in training. What did they turn out? Like, you know, did the pairing that I dreamed of, because every time I breed a litter, like you said, we're trying to better the breed. I want it to be a dog I'd want to own. Mm-hmm. I want it to have the personality. I want it to have the perseverance. I want it to have the looks. I want it to have the health. I want it to like, and then you get them back and you're like, man, that one worked. Man, that one was good. But like, I'm always trying to make it better and make it better. And so to the opportunity that I guess I get and you get to keep probably, you know, how many do you keep from, like each year, do you do you keep one a year, two a year? But it's really hard to not keep them all. <laughs> yeah, no, I but yeah, I try to keep like everywhere. every time. I mean, my youngest is six months old, and I'm already like, I want another pup. Like, yeah. um, but I tried to. My husband was like, "Do you need this one?" I'm like, "Okay." So I try to about one a year. Um, sometimes it's more, and sometimes it's less, but. That's kind of where I'm at at this point. Um, but yeah, man, like you said, that it's that fulfillment when I get this update. And even after a week, sometimes and these people are like, I can't believe this puppy already. And it's like, I did my job right. You know what I mean? It's just the best feeling ever. And there are times, like you said, that maybe that one didn't work too much. Okay, so what, why, why didn't it work? You know? Yeah. Um, Getting them back but, in training is my litmus test. Right. Like, yeah, you know, you, especially if I get several from a litter because they all got raised slightly differently. Everyone is an individual, but they all sort of in that realm. And so it really is a litmus test of, am I doing things properly? I think I love that you say that too, because one of my favorite things as a breeder ever is when a trainer refers his clients to us. Like that is probably the ultimate goal because they want to train those dogs because they're easy to train and they do a good job. You know what I mean? So that is, there's a lot of times that I don't have the same opportunity as you do to train your own dogs because once they're gone, they're gone a lot of times, um, unless it's a, 
a personal dog of mine, but when I get a call from somebody and said, so-and-so trainer sent me to you guys because he's had a lot of success with your dogs. I'm like, thank you. That was so good to hear. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Is there anything that we didn't capture about you, your dogs, or the process of being an ethical breeder and the process of how to do it right that you would want to hit on? I don't, I guess one thing that I would like to touch on too, obviously you are training bird dogs. Um, but I think that something that is often forgotten is how versatile labs can be. Um, we have had dogs in Ruby who like, you know, dog diving and agility and service dogs and therapy dogs and companions and rat (laughs) tests you know I'm not even sure what the term for that is but we've got a gal that runs like they detect rat nests like it's just crazy the things that labs can accomplish and I think that's probably why they've been the number one breed in AKC for a lot of years in fact I think this year they actually got beaten by something like a Frenchie I think the yeah, like how did that happen? It's beyond me. But, I don't know. You know, just a versatile dog is just, it's really, they're so fun to own, you know, and I think that's kind of the next thing that we want to do is what I would really like to get into, but I have a lot of work to, of research to do, but our daughter is disabled. She's in a wheelchair. And one of the main things is I want our dogs to be able to be calm and safe around her but the next step is we really want to train one of our dogs to be a service dog for her and jane is six now so we've kind of been waiting like we want her to be involved in the training process and i think we're getting to that point in the next couple of years year two which is really scary because we've talked about it for a long time but that's a lot of work to have a certified service dog but um something that we really that's kind of like one of my passion goals. I want to be able to do that for her. So, um, yeah, I just, it's, I'm so very thankful for the dogs and the ability to have done this for as many years as we have. I mean, our kennel was, Steve and Linda started it in 1998, I think like it's been a lot of years. So, and you know, the lab world is, the market is flooded. You can have, find a lab reader wherever you want, but, um, I'm just really thankful for repeat buyers and referrals and, um, you know, that kind of stuff to keep us doing what we're, what we love, you know? Yeah. One of the things that I've always appreciated about you and and the dogs that you've raised and, and live with you, these are your dogs, is um, seeing the love they have for your daughter and like mm-hmm. you know, bedtime ritual where you share a little bit about your personal life, which is hard. Uh, Like I don't let anyone into my personal life on social media and and you open up that window a little bit and how special those dogs are to her and her to them kind of speaks volumes to your program and like the breed, like how special these animals are to go 300 yards and go get a duck and, and work on Richard's truck and then come home and reacclimate to the home and sleep in bed with her and 
be with her during bedtime ritual. Like, yeah, that's pretty neat. It's it's crazy. I mean, Tanner, for example, one of our, I mean, he's 12 now, but when he was like in his prime, Jane has a genetic disease called spinal muscular atrophy. So she's very weak and um, she's doing awesome now. That could be a whole nother episode, but um there was a time when she first was able to sit up. She was about two years old and she was first able to actually sit up. So anytime she was on the floor playing, sitting up, Tanner would come and lay right behind her and just be still. It was almost like he knew in case she fell, he wanted to be there to like cushion that fall, you know, and that's a dog who at the line, his feet like pitter pattered. I mean, he was so hard charging and go, go, go. But around her, it was just like, I'm going to do this. And like when she first started bearing weight on her legs, she would, well, a lot of the dogs, but she would like hold on to the dogs and stand and they would just be still. And they knew that, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So, yeah. And like you said, it is a little hard to share some of that stuff, but at the same time, I think it's awareness and realizing what these dogs are capable of is a huge thing. And in Jane's life, I mean, they have such a huge impact on her every day. Like it can be a total moon changer when she's not feeling well or sick. There is always a dog in her bed and they just know that they like, she needs that extra support and it's pretty miraculous. It's, it's really fun to be able to witness that. And I'm very blessed. And Jane gives every single puppy that leaves a kiss and a hug before they Mm -hmm. leave. And she says, and don't you want toys. (laughs) She's very adamant about telling that. Uh, Sorry, they will. (laughs) Yeah. Beth, one of our girl, her younger girls, chewed up uh, her favorite Barbie shoe. One meanly tiny little Barbie shoe. And to this day, Beth's almost, well, she'll be two this winter. Beth is a naughty dog. Mm -hmm. She tells everybody, that one's a naughty one. That's all. Jane, it was one Barbie shoe. Well, tell me or tell everyone where they can find you if they're interested in learning more about your breeding program. And I know that you have a wait list. So how do people apply and and work towards towards that? Sure. We are on Instagram and Facebook, just at Torgs Labs, T-O-R-G-S Labs. Um, Our website is TorgsLabs.com. How I run our deposit list is basically what I require is a puppy deposit contract that can be found on our website on the puppy page, a $300 deposit. Once we have your deposit, you're on a wait list for either male or female. And as litters are born, once I know exactly how many males and females are on the ground, I just go down that list and say, Bob, you've got first pick on this if you're interested. This is the breeding that we have. This is the time frame that those pups are going to be ready to go home. This was my expectations and goals in this particular breeding as far as size, demeanor, color, etc. And at that point, you have the decision to say, you know what, timing just doesn't work for me. Or I really want to wait for Parker lineage. Or absolutely, let's hop on this. You know, I ultimately leave the decision up to you whether... so. If you put a deposit with us, I will make sure that you get a puppy that you want. You know, I'm not going to force you to be on a litter that you're not interested in or say, I have availability. You have to take a puppy. I mean, for example, I just recently had some males available because the people that were on our deposit list said timing just doesn't work out. And I get that. Um, So 
that's just kind of how we run it. And um, usually I can fulfill a deposit between four and eight months. I know it's a long or a wide time span, but you know, it all depends about what nature gives us, how many males and females we have in each litter, and then what breedings um, are taking place. So if I could do a PSA real quick, you, you do this more than I do, but we are not freaking Amazon. I'm hoping for a puppy in May. Mm -hmm. That's not how it works. That's like one of my major pet peeves. So don't, don't call me. You can, if you want, if you'll do it, I'll do it. You (laughs) can do it, but I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. I don't know when they're going to come into heat. Exactly. Like it may not take, like there's so many factors that we're not Amazon and we're not like, the other thing for me is again, I'll get on my soapbox a lot of my females compete. So Mm -hmm. I'm not, I will withhold doing a breeding because I'm going to master national with this mama. dog. So I can't promise a lot sometimes. And so if people want to be in on the list and like, you know, I'll, I'll do that, but I'm, we're not Amazon. And you, it's just, you have to be aware that if you find the right breeder you find the right parents, you do the right things, you may have to wait, and then we'll let you know like when things happen. And if you're not exactly. ready, no harm, no foul, but don't say it's April 20th and I'm hoping for a puppy in May. Like Exactly. It just you have to be patient with it and understand. If you want the right one. If you want the right one, if you're just gonna say, I want a red dog. Okay, well, I can help you with that. I still don't know what time frame, though. You know what I mean? Um, so I think going into it, no matter what breeder that you go with, I just think it's important to keep that in mind and remember that, sure, you might be on this breeding in or litter and something, I mean, things can happen where that is not going to work out if they're, what I used to do is like pre-book four males and four females for every litter. Well, we never got that. And then I was having to call people and say, sorry, she only has two puppy or two females and you had third pick. That's out of my control. And then they'd be so upset and so disappointed. And I'm like, nothing I can do about it. I'm sorry. So that's the reason I do the deposits, how I do now, instead of booking for a specific litter, if you want to get a puppy from us, you're on a wait list and um, we will get you what you need eventually, as long as you're patient for it. And sometimes it happens way quicker than you're thinking. Cause you know, I've had a litter of 10 girls before, or I've had, I just had a litter, two litters with one with six boys and one with five, you know, sometimes that wait list can jump up really quickly if we have the numbers that support that. So. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate, <clears throat> excuse me. I appreciate all your knowledge. I appreciate you taking time out of your family time to jump on here and be with us. Um, it was great to get to know you as yeah, well. Thank you. And it was very, very educational and fun and I appreciate it. So I hope everybody jumps on Instagram and Facebook, gives you a follow. And if you're interested in learning more about her dogs, do a deep dive on the website um, and learn more. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. You have a great evening and we'll be in touch. Sounds good. Thanks, Bob.
Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Golfers. If you enjoy the show and want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this duck season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.